0: You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Make some noise! It's Making Monsters with Taylor Dahl. It's like beer and brats. A perfect combination. You know
1: the deal. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Making Monsters. We are continuing on this crazy offseason right now for the Chicago bears. There are talks. If we're keeping Justin trading, Justin trading down in the draft, uh, which quarterback possibly we're drafting. And it's pretty much a war zone on bears Twitter right now because of this. Um, but, I am sticking uh, to my path that I have right now, and that is getting to know some of these top quarterbacks that are in the draft this season, uh, in this NFL draft. Um, And then some other players possibly that are on these teams that the Bears could be potentially looking at. We know the position groups that they're they're glaring, uh, the glaring needs. And so we'll talk some of those today. And I'm being joined by, you might have to help me with this one because I I feel like I've seen it pronounced a couple of ways. Like I tried to figure it out, but Roman, is it, Thomas Hoff or Tomashoff?
2: Tomashoff. There you go. You got Thomas it the second Schaff. time.
1: Okay. All <laughs> right. So Roman Tomashoff, he is the site editor for Huskies Wire and podcast host for Locked on Huskies. Roman, thanks so much for hopping on with me.
2: Taylor, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah. And um, I could tell by your reactions, you love talking Huskies football. So uh, that's exciting for me because I have a lot of questions for you when it comes to this sense. So obviously, Roman, um, you heard my little spiel about how Twitter's very divided right now on whether to keep Justin Fields or to draft a quarterback. Uh, we know Caleb Williams right now is sitting at that one for most people. But there's some really good quarterbacks in this draft. And um, it, there's probably... Four or five five that could go potentially in the first round, and one of them being Michael Penix Jr. from Washington, and that's who we're here to talk about a little bit today. Um, So I want to start from the beginning. He obviously spent his first four seasons, I believe, in Indiana. Um, There he tore an ACL, suffered some injuries during that time, but uh, transferred to Washington, and all of that kind of seemed to go away and he progressively got better at his time in Washington. Some of his numbers, let's just start with 2022, for example. Uh, 4,600 yards, uh, sorry, between the two seasons, uh, he had 40 over 4,600 yards, 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He led FBS football as the nation's top passer with 357 yards per game in that 2022 season. So tell us a little bit about that, the start, um, and what he was able to do offensively right out of the gate in Washington.
2: Yeah, so when Mike first won the job, Everyone around around Seattle media was very curious where, you know, he he wanted over Dylan Morris, who's transferred to James Madison since and become the uh, he'll be the starting quarterback there in 2024. And Sam Heward, who was like an incumbent five star freshman at the time, and everyone had a lot of really high hopes for him. And then Michael came in and it felt like he was always going to be the, the guy who won the job. And, you know, the, the first couple of games is a real feeling out process mm-hmm. where we saw him play against Kent State and Portland State. And it was, all right, what, what are we going to see in this guy? All right, things look good. We, mm-hmm. we, we like this so far. It's really impressive. And then he really just exploded in the Michigan State game uh, okay. in 2022 mm-hmm. when Michigan State was still ranked at number 11. And he comes out, throws, I believe, four or five touchdown passes in that game. And was just unbelievable. And from that point on, it was, okay, this this guy's going to be a star. The yeah. biggest thing was keeping him healthy and keeping yep. him upright. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to not just offensive line coach Scott Huff, but offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer, where they put a very different scheme around him okay. that Washington had a lot of talent on the offensive line.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sure we'll end up talking a little bit about guys like Troy Fautano and Roger Rosengarten, who are also in this draft class. But the, it, there was... A lot of just questions about the scheme in 2021, where the previous coaching staff, made the guys play really heavy and it just, it, to, to, to keep it short and simple, because that's its own podcast <laughs> is it wasn't pretty okay. uh, as the, the Huskies went four and eight, everything was a disaster and the offensive line really, really struggled despite having a lot of really highly rated guys along that front line, Grub and DeBoer come in, they keep Scott Huff around and everything just just does, does a 180 up front. And all of a sudden it's one of the best offensive lines lines in the country where Mike was sacked. Uh, I, I don't have the exact number offhand over the last two years, somewhere around 15, 16 times in the last two seasons combined. Oh. So keeping yeah. him upright was a huge part of all this. Yes. No, that was that, that was that part of it was all fantastic. And just the more the season went along, you got to see what he showed flashes of an Indiana. Like if you go back and watch his Ohio state game from, I, I believe it's 2020 where he threw over mm-hmm. 500 yards it's you get to see more and more games like that. And of course, having a fantastic trio of wide receivers around him helped him out a lot as well.
1: Yeah. And that's what, when you look at it, he's an interesting one. And I, I'm very intrigued to see the next couple months as we get through the combine and when we get through interviews and people start learning a little bit more about Pennix and really watching him because I feel like when you see him he's been fantastic and I I just remember going back back to uh, the bowl game and everybody on Twitter kind of going crazy and they're like wow like this kid's pretty fun I'm like I could tell you guys are watching your first Washington football game (laughs) this season because there was all all year for me I was kind of like man like he's really fun to watch on the football field and but when you look at at certain aspects and I'm sure there we will we'll get into some of those, but it's interesting with him because like I said, there's some people only have three got three of the quarterbacks in the, in the top in the first round, some have four, some have five. And he goes anywhere from like pick 11 in the first round to mid second round. So it, it's really his placements kind of unpredictable. And we'll learn more about that when it comes to injuries. We talked about the ACL, some injuries uh, at Indiana, but not at Washington. He didn't really deal with that. Um, We were talking about the offensive line, though. So is it worrisome maybe if he ends up going to a team that doesn't have the offensive line that Washington was able to have this last two? Let's, for example, Justin Fields has been sacked almost 100 times this last two years. Um, That's a lot. And granted, they're fixing it. They're building pieces. And hopefully this offseason, they invest more into the line. Um, But would you would you have injury concerns with him behind a line that maybe isn't able to protect him very well?
2: I I definitely would. And I mean, I know the bears are making strides in that direction. Like I, I I was a little, I I questioned the Darnell right pick last year, but I know he's, he's developing really well. So we'll kind of see how, how that continues. And Mm -hmm. that's another thing where, you know, let's say they do draft Michael Penix where this is a really deep offensive line class where I really like a lot of these guys outside of just Fouton Rosengarten, where I think you get somebody like Jordan Morgan from Arizona at the top of the second round, or there are a whole lot of other guys where you can just say, all right, we'd be committed to building around a Michael in, yeah. in that scenario. So I would say yes. And I sp- like, especially from the point of view of a Patriots fan here where yeah. people were saying, Oh, would you take Michael Penix at three? And I said, you, you better fix the offensive line if you want to yeah. make that that kind of an investment. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And believe me, we, and there, I feel bad because we trashed the line a lot, but I think that it's been a lot of injuries too. That hasn't helped the bears line when they're all healthy. When Darnell Wright, Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins has been out there, the line, Honestly, isn't terrible. Um, The problem is, they've all dealt with injuries this past couple of years, except especially Tevin. And we do have a glaring hole at center. Um, which again, we'll talk about when we do get to Troy a little bit later. But um, so that that is something though that we have to think about. The the one thing that really stands out with me with Penix two is he's a like a full on pocket passer quarterback. That is something we very differently from what Justin Fields is. Obviously different than what we've built this offense around the last couple seasons. Um, even differently than what we're looking at when it comes to Caleb Williams, when it comes to Jaden Daniels, when it comes to Drake May. They're all pretty mobile guys, and not saying that. Penix isn't able to move at all, but he's definitely more of a pocket passer. So the last few years when you're analyzing him and you're watching what he's good at on the football field, uh, when it comes to being able to navigate that pocket and going through his progressions, what would you say are his his biggest strengths in those areas?
2: So I would say it's, he's, he does a great job reading the field. He goes through his progressions really, really quickly. And that's something where he's, he really has learned a lot under Ryan Grubb, Kaelin DeBora over these last couple of seasons. And on top of that, he just has just fantastic arm talent where, especially if you go back and I, I, when you were talking about the sugar bowl a couple minutes ago, that's one where you can go back and look at that and just say, yeah, it doesn't matter who's in coverage there. He was just making perfect throw after perfect throw after perfect throw. So when you see just that kind of high end talent it's uh-huh. it's always worth a risk but when yeah you look at it from a standpoint of all right you want to plug him in with with DJ Moore and Cole Camby yeah. when we're talking about about the bears where he would do a great job of throwing those guys open at times but also just putting the ball in a spot where he would trust them to go up and make a play too okay. where that's something that Being with Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk for the last couple of years, he's been able to find that that really fun balance of all right. Sometimes I know if I put a ball in a spot, my receiver is going to make a play for me. But sometimes I'm going to make a play for them. Where one, I know one highlight that everybody likes to talk about is Roma Dunze's back shoulder touchdown grab against Cal back in September. Where Mm -hmm. I'm sure you you and I are going to get to that too. And. I remember we we were talking to both Rome and Mike about that after that game. And uh, when we talked to Rome, it's, oh, yeah, you know, he made a nice throw and I was able to make a good adjustment. And we go ask Michael Penix and uh, uh, joking as he would be just, yeah, you know, I threw him open That, that, you know, that all goes to me. So that was, yeah, it's really fun to see just both sides of that. But yeah, we've seen him make so many big time throws and big time moments, too.
1: Yeah, and that's what's really fun. And speaking of the Sugar Bowl, because I mentioned that was just a game where my Twitter kind of went crazy of Bears fans being like, Whoa, Was anybody watching this game? This guy's pretty good. But when you, he was doing everything you would want to see in that game when it's talking about hitting all levels of the field. He was hit, you know, right side, right uh, sideline, left sideline, midfield, which is an issue that Justin Fields has had. He has his places where he likes to throw the ball. Um, he's right. had the issue this season of avoiding the midfield, which honestly sometimes is the easy way to go. Granted, we know aside from DJ Moore and Cole Komet, there's not a whole lot. That you, there that's why there's an we're talking uh a dunze in a little bit too but so when you were watching when you were watching that game i'm sure it progressed through the season but that game was kind of the cherry on top of what he is capable of doing is that something you feel like he can consistently do and at the next level or was that just like a, hey this is my big chance let me shine
2: no, that's that, that's absolutely something where we have we we know that he can make those kinds of plays consistently. Or okay. if you go back and watch the first Oregon game when both teams were ranked in the top 10, the second Oregon game where both teams were ranked inside the top five, yeah. where he consistently was able to live up to the challenge. Another example where the stats don't look great, but it really wasn't on him, was when the Huskies had to go, go down and play a top 10 Oregon State team uh, in just a monsoon that was the yeah. first half. And he made some perfect throws in that game and just suffered from some drops where that made everything look a lot worse than it really was. Where if you go back, you can find just those kinds of throws that he made in the sugar bowl time and time and time again in different places. He just was able to put it all together on the big stage.
1: Which perfect timing for him, obviously. And um, so I I think a big highlight for you guys, uh, losing your head coach Kalen DeBoer he's he's been successful you feel like wherever he goes um, so it'll be kind of, it will be fun to watch him at Alabama but how much was DeBoer what he was able to build around Pennix and develop in Pennix these last couple seasons led to uh, where we feel like he is the level Pennix is able to play now
2: So I I will say, and as much credit as Kalen DeBoer and everything deserves, a lot of that, a lot of like the stuff around him was Mm -hmm. developed by Chris Peterson a couple of years ago, actually. Where if you go look at Fautano, Rosengarten, Polk, uh, Polk was was, uh, even recruited under Jimmy Lake, McMillan, uh, Odunze, a lot of these guys were already in the system. And so – they, DeBorn, his staff did a great job of developing them and getting them to where they could be. So it was just kind of, it was the perfect fit for Michael Penix in terms of, all right, I know I still have a lot of, a, a long ways to go in my development when he got here in 2022 and they were all able to develop everything together. And that's why we saw them all come back for this past year was to make that run because they all felt, as that year went along, all right, we're all in a much better place now than we were even at the end of 2022. So let's all do this together and all have one last shot at this, which is, is really cool to see. And I feel like that's a credit to Mike for, you know, helping these receivers get to where they are. And also huge shout out to wide receivers coach Jamarcus Shepard, who did such a fantastic job of building up those guys and getting them all to a place of, you know, where where they are now. Talk about a little
1: bit about Pennix as a person, because one thing that we've learned about Ryan Poles uh, since he's been here in Chicago is he's a big uh, like type of guy. Um, He doesn't like bad attitudes. He doesn't like. And that's a reason that he didn't draft Jalen Carter because of some of the knocks on him. Um, he is just fully that guy where he wants somebody to be able to be a positive influence on the field and off the field. Um, so tell me us a little bit about Penix. What is his personality when it comes to being a teammate, his leadership off the field with media, that type of stuff.
2: You're, you're never going to hear a bad word about Michael Penix in the media or anywhere else. Truly. He's a really humble kid. He's just. Really exceptional to talk to, especially when you get him talking about football, where you look at some of his interviews that he's done down at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. He's so passionate and such a hard worker about what it is that he does. And at the same time, he he kind of realizes how far he's come, which I think is yeah. really cool to see. He did a really fantastic interview with Adam Brennerman from the Big Ten Network, where he talked a lot about his injuries and just how hard it's been for him to get to this point. Yeah. And you're, you're never going to see anything bad about Mike. He's always been somebody who will stand up for his teammates. Uh, one of, one of the best interview quotes this season was after a fantastic game against Tulsa early on in the year, we asked him what his favorite throw of the day was. And he said, Oh, when Dylan Morris, my backup came in and threw a touchdown pass, that was the best. throw of the day. <laughs> So he's, he's that. just that kind of guy, which yeah. I, I think is, is really wonderful and really special. And you, you, you'd find that a lot around just these Washington guys. We're all kind of fed off of each other and, They're all just really smart, really high-character kids.
1: I love that. And that's what we like to hear. The whole reason that I started making monsters to begin, like my, my normal premises, I kind of highlight guys throughout the season and I'll pick somebody who's been playing well. I go back, I talk to brothers, sisters, high school coaches, college coaches, and try to just get to the, like know their path and how they got to the NFL. And it's so fun because it's just like, you forget sometimes, like they're human beings and these are really cool, fun, entertaining human beings, but we're so invested in football. You forget that sometimes. Um, but let's get to my guy, Roma Dunze. 6'3, 215 pounds. He has become, and I know Marvin Harrison sitting right there. I think that's just out of realm for us of what the Bears are actually going to end up doing. And Adunze is just like my next guy that I would like to see in Chicago. Um, the last two seasons, over 2,700 yards, 20 touchdowns. Tell us a little bit about that connection that him and Penix have been able to create these last two seasons.
2: Yeah. So Rome has always been just a really, really high ceiling player. When he was coming out of Bishop Gorman high school, you you could see everything on tape, you know, he's a former track star and it's just, Oh yeah, this dude's got it. He's got the frame. He's got the athleticism. He can do it all. It's just a matter of putting it together. So we saw him a little bit during the COVID year in 2020, where the Huskies only played four games and the same thing where you saw a flash here and a flash there. And, you know, you're just kind of waiting on it. Then he got hurt to start 2021 and like I said, that season was a disaster for so okay. many reasons that nothing was ever really going to work out. What was and his then, injury? So he had, a, a he. I had I believe it was a separated shoulder. I okay. know it was something in, in the shoulder where I, I don't remember how specific they ever got with it. Okay. But then twenty twenty two
1: College, college football's like, it's yeah. somewhere here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's somewhere on your body. Don't, you don't, yeah, you don't need to be serious. any more specific than that. <laughs> so he comes back in 2022 after mulling the transfer portal, as did a lot of other guys on the roster decides to stick it out with the staff and Kalen DeBoren goes out, and hires uh Purdue's Jamarcus Shepard, who is one of the best wide receiver coaches in the country. And we saw Rome just, finally realize it and finally make that jump and a lot of that has to do with the offense that he was in Uh but a lot of that also has to do with Rome's work ethic and and Jamarcus Shepard himself where it's it's a plethora of things that helped get him to that point and just the more the season went along you saw how he was able to thrive in the offense where it's okay now they're finally scheming ways to get him open instead of just you know uh, just a lack of passing concepts as a whole yeah. under, the, under the previous regime. But again, I digress. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's, it's oh, trust me, it's it's such a frustrating story. But uh, um,
1: we've been there, believe me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so then, as as we saw his his year go along, uh, I know his Arizona game was a really big one for him. We had 150 yards, a couple of touchdowns, and but he still wasn't quite all there where he could have come out in the 2023 draft and maybe still have been a first round pick where yeah. he's got great athleticism, but there were still things he struggled with. He wasn't great with contested catches. He wasn't, he, he still had drops here and there yeah. Or what they weren't glaring issues per se, but yeah. they were still things that could have been perfected. So he decided to come back to school after Michael Penix did too, and work on those things. And all through the spring, we heard Jamarcus Shepard, who is never one to to mince words and is always a super energetic guy just say, he's 6'3", 270 pounds. He's somebody who needs to be more physical at the catch point. And I tell him that every single day. And we saw him come out and do that with 21 contested catches this season. We saw him refine his work as a route runner. We saw him cut down on the drop balls immensely so everything that he needed to work on he he all he emphasized that at, at length too on his own just so that i know these are things i need to get better on because i know yeah. i want to play at the next level and these are things that they're going to ask me to do yeah and of course uh our, my, my buddy christian capel uh, over at on motley another fantastic Hus- huskies coverage service uh puts out in the off season that he was running a 4 40-yard dash as well so Ooh. he really is just the total package in a wide receiver
1: I love to hear it. And that's what you, everything I was about to mention, you kind of just named. And because when you think of an ideal wide receiver, especially an X receiver, you're thinking contested catches. You want those guys that can get the 50, 50 balls. You want the guy that's going to be in the right spot, running the right routes. Um, One thing I didn't hear you mention, uh, what about his yards after contact his yak yards? Because I feel like that's an important thing once you get to the NFL too. Is that something you've noticed progress to within the two seasons?
2: Yeah, absolutely. As he's gained strength and size over these last couple of years, he's become better at it where I wouldn't say he's necessarily elite in that department, but I think some of that also just kind of has to do with the offense. When you go back and you watch some of the touches that are manufactured for him, where it just seems to be one read. All right, we're going to throw Rome the ball. Like for example, one of those plays is the second touchdown grab he had in the first game against Oregon, where it's just a back shoulder fade and he's one-on-one where it's all right. We're thrown to the front pylon and just try to stop it. And when that happens with between paddocks and Adunze, you rarely get stopped. So there are a lot of throws like that where it just doesn't seem that He has a lot of opportunities to pick up yards after the catch, but there are also plays where Ryan Grubb loves running just like jailbreak screens, tunnel screens, all sorts of that, Mm -hmm. where he'll come underneath and then catch the ball just basically from where it was snapped before turning upfield. And on some of those, we do see him pick up nice yards after the catch where it's not necessarily like Malik Neighbors who's just going to run away from you.
0: But he has
2: his moments where, yeah, he's still able to shake guys off and pick up five, six, seven yards after the catch where it's not necessarily his biggest strength, but it's absolutely something he can do.
1: It'll it'll be interesting because obviously we don't even know who's going to be the quarterback next year. It may be just builds may maybe Kayla Williams and maybe one of these other guys. But I just think about an offense with one of those quarterbacks and DJ Moore and Roma Dunze and Cole Komet and now Shane Waldron. Um, calling plays and it's just like it just sounds so beautiful to me after last year of what we watched and when you were just going on your rant of like hey it could be a whole another podcast that's how it was last year for us offensively a lot of people put a lot of blame on Justin Fields and that's one of the reasons I defend him because Luke Getzi just didn't know how to build the offense around Justin's strengths and it hurt the offense as a whole in a lot of ways but you still saw DJ Moore hit 1300 yards because they were able to find success beyond even like some of the bad play calling some of the scheme issues that just didn't fit. Um, So it'll be interesting to see the offense, but someone like Rome, I feel like would just fit so perfectly um, and what they are trying to develop and build and and Chicago offensively, which we've never really been able to see. Um, I want to talk a little bit about another position group because I I told you there's glaring needs in Chicago. One of the other ones is that edge rusher uh, position, Braylon Trice, obviously he's a name we'll see uh, top 25 on a lot of big boards. Um, He has increasingly more playing time throughout his four years at Washington. Uh, But the last year the, the his numbers were pretty like, pretty solid and kind of stayed steady i think 11 and a half sacks 12 sacks his tackles increased this year with solo and total tackles um tell us a little bit about trice and what he's what he's like most successful at
0: what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the prop g podcast and an entrepreneur myself
2: So I'm going to quote former co-defensive coordinator, William Inch. who you ask him about Bradley tries. One of the first things he said was he'd make the energizer get, get tired, where he's just (laughs) always on the field. Always will. He's just got an endless motor. And I had a really fantastic conversation with Washington's uh, now, now the San Diego state defensive coordinator, Eric Schmidt down at the, uh, the national championship game in Houston, where we talked a little bit about the NFL draft. And I asked him where he would uh, stack brilliant up against guys like Jared verse and chop Robinson in this class. Mm -hmm. And we had a really fantastic long conversation. Conversation about it where he said the one thing about Braylon that's really different from those other two guys is not just going beyond his motor. Mm -hmm. It's you don't need to scheme up ways for him to get pressure. Where he he said you saw that a lot with Chop at at Penn State and Jared Versus a little inconsistent with that down at Florida State, Mm -hmm. where with Braylon, you can just line him up and you know, you don't even need to have like this super advanced. Just bag of pass rush moves for him to get out the quarterback because he's yeah. stronger. He's not going to get tired, and he's going to find ways to take advantage of you. Love it. So that was the biggest thing, and it was it was great to hear that. And he also yeah. gave me a really interesting comp for him, which was Max Crosby, oh, where it's I? I'll take yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where it's that same thing of he's never going to come off the field. He's yeah. going to keep just busting everything just play after play after play and never going to get tired and just going to keep running you down where he led the nation in, in pressures this year, again, with 76 pressures, according to PFF. So he's somebody who's going to find a way to consistently get after the quarterback. And while he only had, I believe five sacks was the, the final total for him this year, the pressures were there and the impact was just the same, if not greater than it was in 2022.
1: Yeah, and that's why the Bears obviously midseason last year added Montez Sweat. Just adding him already increased what the defense was able to do. So if you add another edge, I I truly feel like the Bears defense is going to be pretty scary next season. There's a couple other things you need to add. But um, talk a little bit about Washington's defense in general. uh, For maybe those who didn't watch a whole lot of Washington Huskies football, including myself until later in the season, Um, did he have a ton of help around him or, or was a lot Braylon Trice?
2: So it it really was a lot uh, of Braylon this year, where. The Huskies were last in the Pac-12 in sacks this season, where it just felt like they weren't getting after it at the same rate they were last year. Where they lost Jeremiah Martin to the NFL following the twenty-two season, and he yeah. was somebody really good. He had eight and a half sacks, I believe it was, in in his his last go around. And Zion Tupou Fatuie, as he uh, told one of my my writers, Alex Katzen, down at the uh, at the Shrine Bowl, was dealing with a shoulder tear all year, so he didn't necessarily have the same impact. And then there wasn't really a lot of pass rush coming from the interior either. So a lot of it kind of was down to you know sparing contributions from somebody like Wojtunewski or just some of the other younger guys in the room, and a lot of it did kind of fall onto Braylon Trice's shoulders. And there were a lot of times where he would make you know he he would beat his man off the edge, and the quarterback would get pressured, roll out the opposite direction, but nobody could finish the playoff. So it just it kind of didn't look great in the end, but yeah. that that was to to no fault of Braylon.
1: Yeah, Um, that's definitely a name that I think a lot of people are looking at. I think, again, some of these names we're talking about will go too high. The Bears do have two picks in the top 10, so that's a positive. But uh, we'll see what they really, really focus in that because I think the main things they're looking at, we'll see quarterback. That's kind of the question mark for a lot of people. But definitely edge, definitely some sort of guard center, which most people say not to draft uh, that high. So that's a, a question mark. And another wide receiver is definitely one. Um, but let's talk about that a little bit. I personally think they're fine at tackle. I like Braxton Jones. I like Darnell Wright. I think he really proved himself, uh, in his rookie season on like a a line that I said, I think they went through nine or 10 different formations just because of injuries and how much they had to switch things up. And Darnell Wright also battled a shoulder injury through the entire season. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, and still played, played through it and played really well against some really tough uh, edge rushers so I- I'm confident that Darnell and Braxton are good but our center or other guard whether Tevin's on the right or the left because he can do both um, definitely a big issue for the Bears this last season uh, when it comes to I mean our center couldn't even snap the ball last year it was going over Justin's head every five seconds um, so that brings us to though uh, the tackle for you guys help me with this name because I'm learning so many names uh, how do you pronounce his name it's Troy Fidon- it? no, Faton Faton Faltanu. Okay. Um, so Troy, he let's start there because obviously I don't think we need a tackle, but does he have versatility? Where do you see him playing best on the line? Um, what are some of those situations where you can see him be, being able to be on that O-line?
2: So when, when we look at like Troy Faltano's versatility, actually huge shout out to my buddy, Connor Rogers, who hosts the NFL stock exchange podcast over with, with pro football focus. And he cobbed Troy Faltano to Elijah Vera Tucker where if you need him to do both, he can absolutely play guard or tackle. But he's going to do his best work at guard because he's a super talented athlete. He's really, really strong and can definitely hold up against some interior defensive linemen. But one of the best things that Troy offers is also as a run blocker, where with his athleticism, he's become just an elite pulling guard and, and tackle, truly. Yeah. where the Huskies were able to run a lot of stuff off tackle, getting outside any kind of outside zone with him as the lead blocker going that direction. So he's really experienced at both run and pass blocking. And I, I would just think that no matter where he fits along an offensive line, he's going to excel where the, the Elijah, uh, Tucker, the Elijah Tucker cop also fits as, all right, he could probably be a very good tackle, but it's going uh-huh. to be an all pro caliber player at guard.
1: Okay. Um, Yeah. and, And that's a really interesting one, because I think that we like the players that are versatile. That's one of the things we love about Tevin Jenkins. It's been really unfortunate that Tevin's battled so many injuries the last few seasons he's been in Chicago, because when he's on the football field, the line just is different. And he can also play anywhere. We drafted him as a left tackle. He ended up getting switched over to right tackle. Then he played right guard last year. Then this year he played left guard. Um, so he's literally played everywhere. It got to the point where we were joking this year when our center was so bad that we're like, can he snap the ball? Because I feel like we we need something here. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting one. I like it. I, I, everything we hear about this guy is really, really good when it comes to the offensive line. There's a lot of people that aren't sold on Braxton, and they're even kind of shouting um, to to even kind of bring in him to have competition for Braxton and maybe move him somewhere else. Um, the one reason that Ryan Poles Brian Poles is an offensive lineman, a former offensive lineman. So he's very uh, knowledgeable and heavy when it comes to the offensive line. And one of the reasons I think they went Darnell Wright last year was because Darnell Wright Wright was a true right tackle. Like that was where his strongest position was. And that's where the Bears needed something. Um, The highest need on the line last year was at that spot. And so they took Darnell Wright. Some people, you said you weren't a fan of it initially. um, And a lot of people weren't, but it ended up working out, I think. And like you said, we'll see over the next few years if it ends up, if we look back and hate it or love it. But Let's uh, move on. Another wide receiver. You said his name a, a few times during this th- during this podcast already, Jalen Polk. Different type of wide receiver than dunze, More of like a multi-role guy. You see him in, in different places on the field, but really good numbers too. Really fun to watch. Uh, tell us a little bit about his strengths. Where does he thrive on the field? Where do you see him being able to play successfully in the NFL?
2: Yeah. So one of the things about Jalen Polk is he's just super reliable. He's got fantastic hands. He's not afraid to take a hit going over the middle of the field. The one thing that I, because we we saw him have to play a lot on, on the exterior this year after Jalen McMillan missed nearly two months with an injury. So Jalen was kind of asked to step in just on the other side of the field, kind of in the Y spot. Uh And so he did a lot of really nice things, able to get to a thousand yards this year. Where, but he did his best work with Jalen McMillan on the field where okay. he can just be kind of the, the option in the slot where, you know, he runs deep, stu- deep routes over the middle and just kind of whenever you really need to make a tough catch, Jalen Polk was one of the guys that Michael Penix would say, I, I know this guy's going to come down with the ball if I just throw okay. it up. And the, so the biggest question that I personally would have about Jalen Polk in the Chicago offense would be, he seems to do his best work in structure where it's just kind of in rhythm where it's he's going Michael Panix would just drop back and get the ball out on time where mm-hmm. Jalen Polk isn't necessarily somebody and just from talking to a few different sources isn't necessarily somebody who will do his best work when the play breaks down and when a quarterback needs to get out and roll away where he's still going to find a way to make a play on the ball but he's just at his at his peak at his best in stride, in rhythm, where and that's something that Shane Waldron's really good at is yeah. that timing and just helping to get the ball out. Just in which I, I know is also something that Justin Fields needs to you know continue to improve on.
1: Yeah,
2: where I would think that he would be the perfect kind of guy where you might be able to get away with taking him in the late second round at this point, and yeah. would be just a, an option where you don't have to invest super heavily into mm-hmm. getting that kind of player, but can be somebody who becomes a really reliable wide receiver too for the Bears.
1: How much did you guys see this year? Was a Adunze getting double covered a lot? Was that something that you were seeing often?
2: So there were times where teams tried to do that, uh-huh. but it just didn't work out very well, especially when the Huskies were at their strength and yeah. they had all three guys playing really well. Because And that was, it's also a testament to the scheme where yeah. the scheme does a really good job of putting guys into situations where they're only going to see single coverage where you know when you're spreading four and five guys out there there aren't a lot of opportunities for guys to get double covered so that that wasn't necessarily just something that you saw a lot of against this this husky team what we saw a lot of was and the perfect example is what jed fish you know shout out to washington's new head coach and his defense did when the huskies had to go down to tucson was they just rushed three all game and dropped eight where they said, yeah. we're not going to allow any explosive plays over the top. They had a free safety that was playing 30, 35 yards off the ball, where they said, you're not going to beat us over the top. We're just not going to have this happen at any point today. So uh-huh. that was that was the way that some teams tried to find ways to limit the Huskies, but they still found ways to move the ball anyways. Yeah,
1: that was a fun run for you guys, though. It must have been a really, really cool season to kind of watch that because I know I'm personally a Notre Dame fan and the season didn't go at all as how I was hoping Um, But when you do have that, when you have a college football team that you're cheering for and they're playing that way and they're getting into the college playoff, it just makes things so much fun. And you guys had talent on all levels. So it had to be so much fun to watch all of that.
2: Oh, that was, that was a blast. Like that, that was one of the reasons I moved out here to Seattle to be able to yeah. cover a team like this. And it was so special getting to take that trip to New Orleans, getting to take the trip to Houston, which, you know, didn't work out the way that we might've hoped that it did, but just everything about that, everything about this team, the guys on the team, the coaching staff, just being able to develop relationships with them. This was a special year on so many levels. And it uh, it's a tribute to a lot of the guys that we just talked about.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so are there, did I miss any, are there any more guys that maybe even later rounds that you are coming out of Washington? I'm not sure who all is still, who all's entering, but any other names?
2: So I think we should talk about the Washington's other tackle, Roger Rosengarten, okay. where I think that, you know, and because you, you talked about getting some, some competition in there where Roger is the perfect guy who can do that, where he's probably a day two pick right now. His stock continues to rise down at the senior bowl. But he's somebody who's really promising a young offensive lineman where I think he's a, a true tackle where, you know, he's right now he's six foot five, couple of bills under 300 where, he, you know, he's probably going to measure at somewhere around 295. Mm-hmm. But he's somebody where you can bring him in the room. Maybe if you want to have a play guard for a year, he's going to do really well there. You can kick him out to tackle whenever. And he's just a really strong, really aggressive player who finishes blocks really well and was Michael Pax's blindside blocker all season playing right tackle. So yeah. he's and he's. As athletic as Troy Falutano is, Roger might be more athletic. Wow. So he's just yeah, he's a really really talented guy who has done a really great job putting on weight, being really physical, and he didn't didn't allow a sack all season long. So he's well, he's somebody that's what we like to hear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, after you just said they only allowed 15 sacks in two seasons, I'll just take the entire Huskies offensive line, move it to Chicago. and Well, be good to go.
2: well there you go. <laughs> All
1: right, Roman. Well, thank you so much again for hopping on with me. Um, a lot of these guys I'm excited for. Hopefully when we get to April, I am messaging you like, yes, we got a Dunze or one of these guys.
2: <laughs> if, if you ever need to chat football, you, you know where to find me.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Taylor. Bye-bye. Thanks to Roman for hopping on with me, and thank you guys for continuing on to listen. Um, I do not think the Bears are going to draft Michael Penix Jr., but somebody is going to draft Michael Penix Jr. at some point, probably in the first two rounds. And um, now we know a little bit more about him. Uh, if it's, let's say, the Vikings, uh, we know what to maybe expect when if they take him. Uh, but also we just kind of know a little bit more about what he was for that offense and um, a guy like Roman Dunze, who is actually uh, – pretty there is a good chance for us to draft someone like that um uh, but all of these guys very talented washington was a really fun football team to watch this season so i figured it'd be cool to learn about some of these other guys especially also the offensive linemen uh but again uh we will continue these on i'm working on a couple more of the quarterback ones and then we'll probably shift to free agency but thanks everybody for listening i'm taylor doll and this is making monsters (laughs)